Well, it's lovely to be back with you in Brannockstown, um, and it's, um, I don't know if the weather's always like this in Brannockstown, um, but it's, um, no, I appreciate you even putting that on for us um, as well. Uh, it's great to be with you, and just great to be encouraged just as we join with you um, this morning. And it's just even just sort of listening just to sort of, um, John was praying even about hope, and we were singing just about the hope that we have uh, and the promise that we have of of, of heaven, uh, and we'll sort of hopefully maybe see a wee bit more of that as we um, look at our, our, our passage this morning. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, but before I do, um, I want to ask you, does anybody recognize or know the name of Anthony, or sorry, Oliver Anthony? Does that ring a bell with anybody? Well, Anthony is, a, is an American country folk singer-songwriter, and just a few weeks ago, he released a single called The Rich Men north of Richmond. He released it independently and what it actually, it's actually sitting number one uh, of the American top 100 um, billboard chart. Uh, the song on YouTube, uh, the video on YouTube has over, has almost 50 million views. Uh, and I want to read just a few of the songs. Now, I'll, I'll maybe not, not all the, the lyrics are maybe necessarily appropriate for a church on a Sunday morning, but you'll forgive me, you'll get the sentiment on it. He says this, he says, I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for pay. So I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. It's a shame what this world's gotten to for people like me and people like you. I wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is, oh it is. He blames his trivials, if you like, on, the, on this, the, these rich men or north of, of Richmond. And what it is, it's kind of like a sideswipe at the, the people up in, in Washington and, and elites in general. Anthony himself, he lives in a, a $750 camper van off-grid with just his wife and his children and his dogs. But what I, the, the song's popularity, if it likes, if you like, it's, it's, it's a sentiment that's obviously echoed by many. Many Americans, he wrote other songs as well, and, um, and I've listened to a few, and they all carry that same kind of sentiment, if you like. People obviously get what he's saying. They can relate to it. They can feel as if their lives are going nowhere. They work all day. They earn all their money, just enough to keep them going, and they just seem as though they're stuck in this cycle with no sense of, of optimism or no sense of, of purpose. Why did I start with that this morning? Well, because I want us to look briefly at a passage of Scripture, and, and it means that for the Christian, for those who put their trust in God, there can be a different outlook. There can be something there that gives us a sense of purpose. For the Christian, there, there is hope. Before I go any further, I want to look a wee bit into that, defin- that word, hope. The hope that we use, that word that we use in, in kind of normal English parlance, it's generally distinguished from certainty. You say, I, I, I hope something's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I hope it's going to happen. I hope that sun stays out all day. I hope that, you know, w- you know that my team wins the match at the weekend. I hope. But Christian hope is different. Christian hope is when God has promised that something is going to happen and you put your trust in that promise. 
It's the confidence that something will come to pass because God says it will come to pass. The hope that the Christian has is not in institutions. It's not in education. It's not in politics. It's not in money. It's not even in the church. But we have someone greater, someone far more reliable, something more sure that we can put our hope in, and that is the person and the work of Jesus. You read the word hope, it appears in, 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 in verses like 1 Peter chapter 1, 13, when it says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope is not a wishful thinking, as we've said. But rather, it's based on God. It's based on what, who he is and what he has done. And we look at his word and we see how he has fulfilled his promises in the past. And it gives us hope that he will fulfill them again in the future. That's where the hope of the Christian is based on. And as I say, this morning what I want to do is I want to look at a few verses in Paul's letter to Colossians. Um, Colossians chapter 3 Verses 1 to 4. And it says this. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For, your, for you died, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Amen. We end our reading there. Let me just pray just before we come and, uh, and look at this, um, this passage. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is truth. Thank you that it is sure that we can um, stand on the promises of it. And Father, as we look at this short passage this morning, we pray that you would make us attentive, that you would... Uh, help us just to tune in to what you're saying to us, that you would blank out any distractions, things that are occupying us, that, that we're looking to do the rest of today or the rest of this week, just for this short time, that you would um, put them to one side and help us to focus in on what you're saying to us through your word. Pray for your help and for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to do is I want to split it in the, these few verses into three, and it's it's more... Not sort of three sections, but it's rather three, three tenses in, 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 in these four verses. Paul is saying essentially that there is something that has happened, past tense. He is saying that there is something that is happening, present tense, and that there's something that will happen in the future, future tense. So firstly, what, what has happened? There are things that, that, that Paul is saying that has happened to these Colossian believers. And if you stick with me, if you have your Bibles, keep them open. I'm going to go with them in, in chronological order. So you're going to have to follow me. They're sort of bounce about the verses a wee bit. Um, but Paul is telling that these believers in Colossia, that they have, first of all, they have died to self. We see that there in verse 3. Secondly, then, once they have died to self, they have subsequently been raised with Christ. We see that in verse 1. And thirdly, the third thing that has happened is that they have, their lives have been hidden with Christ in God. These are realities in the Colossian believers' lives. 
It's only because of their union with Christ. It's only through his death and his resurrection and his, his union with the Father that these believers can enjoy these realities. Just to give you a bit of a context of the passage, although Paul wasn't directly responsible for finding the church in Colossia, it was started by believers who were um, people who believed during Paul's time in, in Ephesus. And Paul writes to these people primarily, I suppose, to counteract false teaching that had infiltrated this church. Uh, and it focused in on, on, on people who were coming in and they were questioning the supremacy of Christ. And so what Paul seeks to do, and we see that sort of very strongly through these verses, is that he asserts the unity of the Christians together through their union with Christ. And so what, what these people were doing, these, these false teachers, they were coming in, they were suggesting that actually, yes, Jesus is coming, you can put your trust in him, but, but there's more you need to do to that. And Paul's saying here, well, that just simply isn't the case. But rather he states these facts that they have died to self. They have been subsequently raised with Christ and they are held hidden with Christ in God. Let me just briefly explore these, these three realities. First of all, I want to do is I want to group the first two together because they kind of come as a pair. They've, they've died to self and then they've been raised with Christ. A few verses in Romans help us to think sort of a bit more about this. Romans chapter 6 says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized with Christ Jesus are baptized unto his death? We are therefore buried with him through the baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father that we too may have a new life. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we are certainly to be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. We should no longer be slaves to sin, but anyone who has died will be set free from sin. We illustration maybe just to try and sort of help us through with that. A few months ago, a neighbor gave us, uh, give the boys a, a seed potato. And there was great excitement to, to plant this potato in a, in, a, in a pot. The plant grew, it got drenched by rain, it got battered by storms. And at times it was, to be honest, ignored. But after patiently waiting, the day came, uh, just, just this week actually, when we came to, to dig up the potatoes. And what we found was, was seven potatoes. A modest output, but still, you know, it's an, it's an increase. And beside it was this rotten seed potato. The seed potato was buried. It was protected under the soil. It died, and despite a few twists and turns and, and, and sort of harsh weather conditions and maybe harsh treatment, it turned out it produced fruit. And it reminded me a little bit of these verses. You see, a novice onlooker would, wouldn't see the purpose in, in burying that potato. It might even seem a waste. Why would you not just eat it and, and just enjoy it for a little while? But that potato was put under the protection of the soil. It was prepared, if you like, to die. In the knowledge and the hope that it would produce more fruit. 
The power of sin has been broken in the lives of those who believe. For their old self is, is put to death in Christ. We were born, we were born sinners, and even though we still sin in this life, sin's rule is broken in the Christians when they die with Christ. As, as that verse in, in the passage of Romans says, they're no longer enslaved to sin. Sin doesn't determine their eternal destiny. One thing I suppose we need to be clear on, and Paul was saying that in his argument in, 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 uh, in Romans, is that it doesn't mean that we have a license to act as how we please. Because our sin doesn't affect our eternal destiny, it doesn't say that we, it doesn't matter how we act. But actually the normal pattern of a Christian ought to be one that is a progressive growth. Growth and sanctification. We were even thinking of that earlier with the young people. You know, how we, how we even though we, we, we trust in him, we still have to do the right things. We still have to make the right decisions. We'll get to maybe the practicalities of that in a bit. But just to want to do, just, just to, to look at that third benefit. That third thing that's happened is that once we have died to self, we've been raised with Christ. Thirdly, our lives have been hidden with Christ in God. Paul here, he uses language that, 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 that is used frequently throughout Scripture uh, to express the security that the people of God have as they trust in him. Isaiah 49 verse 2 says, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me like a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. Psalm 27 verse 5 says, In the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and will set me upon a rock. Paul knew that God never changes. And the same protection that God gave um, his people from the presence of physical enemies back in the days of, of Isaiah and David, that he would protect the Colossian believers as well from the more subtle attacks of these false teachers. And perhaps even more because because, these, because of these believers' union with Christ, there's a sense of a double protection for, for the Christian. If you, if you look at it, I guess the Christian is hid with Christ in God. There's a double protection for the believer. That's well and good, but the question is, well, what exactly are they protected from? What do they need to be protected from? As believers, uh, 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 as we are, are we, are we protected from the storms of life, the twists and turns of life that come our way? Well, no, because well, I'm sure experience of many of us here would be, would be fit to answer that question. Even though we trust in God, bad things still happen. We still go over speed rumps. There's still things in our lives that, that happen that take us by surprise. So what is, what is Paul getting at here? What exactly is the Christian protected from? Let me read a couple of well-known verses from, from Romans chapter 8. Paul again writes, he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, neither powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else that is in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what we're protected from. We can face the difficulties in life. Uh, we can face the ups and downs that come our way and know that in spite of whatever life throws at us, that we are 
guaranteed recipients of his love brought to us through the work and the person of Jesus. And so thinking about the, the application of these benefits, what does it mean for us today? Well, well, the reality is it's just the same. Just as he was for those Colossians believers, Christ is sufficient for us today. We don't need to contribute anything towards our own salvation. The truth is, is we can't. The prophet Isaiah wrote that even our best efforts, even our righteousness is, is just like filthy rags. Nothing anywhere near close to satisfying a holy God. That's what the believers in Colossia needed to hear. And maybe that's what somebody here needs to hear this morning. As humans, we can rely on our own strength, our own efforts to get through a day. We wake up in the morning and perhaps before we go to bed tonight, we've, we've this list of things that we need to do. Things that we need to achieve that day. As, as, as we get up that day, we, we right, well, well, I need to go to that place. I need to get that. I need to, I need to send this email, make that phone call. I need to reply to that text. I need to... More often than not, that list at the end of that day isn't finished. Maybe that's just me. Maybe, maybe you're more realistic with your... Coupled with the fact that we live in a world where there are so many things out of our control. Things often in that list takes longer than you think it should. And so we didn't get that list. It keeps going. But the comfort that we get from this, these verses. It's not dependent even on the, the ever-changing circumstances. Jesus on the cross, because he died, because he rose again, and because of the protection that he They have died to self. They have subsequently been raised with Christ, and their lives are, have been hidden with Christ and God. So that's the past tense if you like. What I want to do secondly is I want to jump to the future. Because these things have happened in the past. Because they have believed in the message that's been brought to them of Christ. Paul says at the end of verse 4 that they will appear with him in glory. And the reason that I fast forward, the reason I put the, the past and the future uh, in this together is there's a similarity in so much as these, these things are, are a guarantee. These are a promise. These things, just as this has happened, this will happen. So we were thinking earlier on about the, the idea of this, this idea of Christian hope. Trusting God, it gives us a real sense of his protection. It doesn't mean that we won't sin. It doesn't mean that we won't face disappointment. We won't face heartache or stress. But for the Christian, there's the promise that assures of that, 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 that we will be perfect in glory. That, that, will, that, that, that we, will, we, will be, we will be made perfect when Christ returns, when we appear with him in glory. We were just singing about that there just a while ago. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, he says, Even as 
as we see only a reflection in the mirror, then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I shall know fully as I am fully known. We anticipate a day when we are made perfect, free from the troubles and the trials and the stress of this world, free from arthritis, free from cancer, free from depression. When we will understand the reason behind it all, when just as as Christ was glorified following his death and his resurrection and his ascension, that we too will share in that glorification. Titus 2 and 13 says, We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the hope of the Christian. And so now that we've we've figured out what, what has happened and what will happen, thirdly and lastly, I want to look at what happens in between. Because we have died to self, because we have been raised with Christ, because we are united with Christ in God, And that means that one day we will appear with him in glory. Paul urges these believers in verse 1 that in the meantime, they're to set their hearts on things above. He repeats it again in verse 2, slightly differently. He says, set their minds on things above, not on earthly things. So far we've been saying that the, the realities of the past and the promise of the future. And so there's nothing we can do to alter those things. It's incredibly uncomforting to reassure that, that, that we, we can't do that because we, we, if it was up to us, we'd, we'd probably mess it up anyway. But it doesn't mean that we're entirely free of responsibility in the meantime. Christ's death and resurrection uh, and the hope of glory should have huge consequences on the Christian's outlook and motivation for life. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For Christ's love compels us, Because we were convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all, so that those who no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and then was raised again. The motivation now is that we need to live for the one who has died for us and who has given us that guarantee of hope. How do we do that? Well, Paul tells us here, he says, by setting our minds on things above are setting our minds and hearts on things above rather than the things on earth. We look at the things that happen here on earth. We see them through the eyes of heaven, if you like. In other words, we are to see them not as as others see them, but we are to see them through the lens of of Scripture and through the lens of, of what God has done in the past and that promise of hope in the future. We see one who is in control. We see the events of earth as, as, as someone is orchestrated by God, by the God who created and sustains this world. One who is sovereign and who will work out his, 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 his will for his good and ultimately for his glory. The writer in the book of Ecclesiastes uses the phrase a lot, under the sun, in his writing, he, he comes to the conclusion that, that when we consider things under the sun, if you like, it's things on, on, on this plane, purely on its own, then, then he comes to the conclusion that it's vanity or meaningless. But what Paul's saying here is, is whenever we bring God into the picture, when we see that, that God is in control, he is sovereign, he is orchestrating our events and the, and the world's events, then we see a certainty that lasts beyond the ever-changing landscape of our, of, our, of our situations. 
And I understand that the mundane things in life, the things that make up our daily routine, they still need to be done. Unfortunately, trust him, God doesn't get us away from those things. But rather, we take our lead from what Paul Paul says in just a few paragraphs on when he says in verse 23 of Colossians 3, he urges the the Colossian believers, in whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working unto the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. If you allow me to swap analogies for a second, as we run this Christian race, the writer of the Hebrews encourages us to keep looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So as I finish, what, what does that mean? So what, Brian? That's all well and good sitting, that here, sitting here, and I agree with what you're saying, but what does that look like to me on a wet Wednesday? That's where the rubber hits the road. Well, I hope these verses are an encouragement to you on a number of levels. Firstly, that we have so much in our inheritance with Christ. Through the finished work of Christ on the cross, we can know, yes, we can know forgiveness of sins. We can know relationship with God restored. And we can know that promise of of eternal life, the promise of glory, a home in heaven. And for the here and now, for those of us who are believers here today, we know the challenge, the encouragement for us comes, if you like, not to lose sight of Jesus in the midst of it all, in the midst of life's ups and downs, to look to him and to see his hand in all that's happening around us. And seeking to live for him in amongst the midst of the the chaos. And for the world, the application is there's an answer to those questions that Anthony Oliver was asking. For those who feel that they're at the back of the line. People who feel that they're just working all day just to keep going. Those who have questions but can't find the answers to those questions in the world's establishments or systems there's hope there's hope and it's found as the writer in Ecclesiastes says it's found by looking above the sun if you like looking upwards to Jesus the one who died so that we could have our our sins forgiven we could have that hope of eternal life with him in heaven and maybe there's someone here this morning and that's you you're still searching. You're still asking those questions. You still find yourself just going in that circle. Come to him this morning. And find hope. Find purpose. Find fulfillment. And let's all of us look away from the, the circumstances that confront us and can intimidate us. And instead look to Christ, look to the promises and hold fast to them. And know that ultimately, as he says in, 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 in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, that he has plans for each one of us. Plans to prosper and not to harm. Plans to give what? Hope and a future. Hope for the future, isn't that a great thing? In the midst of all the uncertainty that life brings, we have a certain Hope for the future. A hope that even goes beyond this life. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, will 
know the great preacher and writer Tim Keller, who passed away earlier this year, died of pancreatic cancer at the age of 72, having lived a life based on his strong faith in Christ and the work on the cross. And, and what I want to do this morning is I want to finish by quoting a portion of what his wife Kathy said at his, uh, to those who were gathered at Tim's memorial service. She said this, she said, Tim is buried in St. Michael's Cemetery. But that place is huge. You couldn't find the grave even if you tried. But please don't try. And here's why I don't want you to. She goes on to say, These, those, you know those scenes in, in movies, like at the end of Saving Private Ryan, where someone has a heart-to-heart -heart talk, standing at the headstone of a deceased person? Tim and I were always uncomfortable with those because well, the person isn't really there. Instead, Tim is with Jesus, healed, loved, more alive and happier than he has ever been. She went on to quote from Isaiah chapter 26. It says, in that day, this song will be sung. All that we have accomplished will be done for us. You have accomplished will be done for us. The dead will live, Lord. Their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy. Kathy continued, Isaiah was speaking of a future reality with no more death or tears. And Tim is living that reality now. How I yearn for all of us to trust the God that he now worships face to face. So that one day we may all sit down together to that feast. What a contrast that is from where we started this morning. And those lyrics from uh, from Oliver Anthony and, and see the difference there is that knowing and trusting and following Christ can make to a person. Kathy Keller, Kathy Keller was, was, was confident that her husband was alive and well. Healed from his cancer once and for all and he was ultimately with his saviour in glory. Let's pray. Father we thank you for your word to us today. Thank you that even though it was written to a group of people um, thousands of years ago in a different context with a different application to us. Father, we thank you that by your spirit we can take it and we can apply it to ourselves today. And Father, you'd help each one of us to do that. We're all in different settings. We're all in different jobs and different families. We have different burdens, different cares on our minds. But Father, I pray that you would help us and encourage us by your word and help us to take that, what you've been saying to us, and to apply it into the days and into the week ahead. So, Father, we just thank you for this time spent around your word. Thank you for your help and for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen.